Well, good morning. My name is Stephen. I'm one of the pastors here. Recently, I was living my best millennial life now, which means that I was at the gym listening to a podcast, uh, just in my own world. Uh, and it was a podcast that was a series of conversations between Bruce Springsteen and Barack Obama. And they were talking in this particular one about fatherhood. And it was really fascinating. They were talking about the boundaries that they had drawn, the, the ways that they had learned to balance their lives as men who, who had very uh, challenging jobs who lived uh, in the spotlight. How did they do this well as husbands and as fathers? Uh, they talked about different rules that they figured out. Like President Obama said that when he was in office, that he had a strict 630 dinner time with his wife and with his two girls. And unless he was out of the country or was a national crisis, he was there every single night to have dinner. Uh, Bruce Springsteen talked about the way that he was, he learned what sort of rhythm was good with touring. And he learned very quickly that three months with kids was not good, but three days with kids worked pretty well. Uh, and how to balance those things out. And Springsteen told a story in this podcast where he said that when his son was eight years old, that he realized that something was wrong in their relationship. And so he went to his son and he had this conversation. He said, son, I think I've been teaching you something wrong. I've taught you not to need me, but I realized that that's really not good because I need you in my life and I need to apologize for the things that I have taught you up until this point. I want to connect with you now in a way that's different from the way that I've been connecting with you before. And I realized that that's going to take a lot of work. He later said that he realized that the only way to teach his son that no wasn't the answer was to start saying yes, 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 over and over again. What a beautiful conversation. What if we learned how to say yes in our lives with our kids? And you know, this conversation between these two men made me go down a path of thinking about legacies. They were actively working to leave legacies for their kids that showed that their kids were worthy of something, that they were worthy of their time, that they were worthy of their intentionality, that they were worthy of their love. Even with dads as famous as their dads, uh, who had so many external pressures on them. Maya Angelou said, if you're going to live, leave a legacy. Make a mark on the world that can't be erased. What do you want to be your mark on the world when you're gone? What do you want your legacy to be? Springsteen realized that the only way to live a good life was with intentionality. It took time. It took effort. It took working at it. It, it, it took apologizing uh, in this instance. He needed to change the way that he was living, but he was up for it. You know, the Bible is filled with lots of advice on how to live a good life, on, on what it looks like to leave a legacy that is worthwhile uh, in the kingdom of God. And we're in a book... Uh, called the Psalms in our series this summer. And we, we've been in this for a few weeks now. And today I want to look at Psalms 112 because the Psalms have lots to tell us about what it looks like to live a good life. And Psalm 112 specifically tells us about that. 
It's an acrostic poem, and an acrostic means uh, that each line of the Psalms goes through a different letter of uh, the Hebrew alphabet from A to Z, so to speak. But of course, it's not actually A, B, C. Uh, there's not 26 lines because it's not the English alphabet. It's the Hebrew alphabet. So there's 22 lines, and it goes Aleph, Bet, Gimel, Dalet, and so on. I won't bore you with all of the Hebrew alphabet. I'm not sure I could even say them all if I wanted to. But that's what an acrostic is. A to Z, and in Psalm 112, A to Z on what it looks like to live a good life. You know, my dad left a legacy for me. He was a pastor for 40 years. Uh, he loved Jesus. And one of his favorite things to use when uh, teaching was to teach and preach with acronyms. Kind of like an acrostic in a, in a way, right? Uh, and he created them for everything. Some of them worked really well. Some of them did not work really well. And they were almost uh, comical in how far that he was stretching it. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, his acronym for helping you to remember what the different types of evangelism or sharing Jesus with other people were was P.S. Food. Prayer, servant, friendship, outflow, outreach, and decision. Uh, for building strong churches, and this one cracks me up, T, the letter T, cup, O, apostrophe, ale. That's what he did. <laughs> for remembering the gifts uh, that people are given by God, it was so let me pace. Servant, outreach, leaders, E, which did not have a word attached to it, just a letter uh, to make his words fill out. Uh, teachers, musicians, entrepreneurs, uh, prophetic askers, counselors, and again, E, no word, just the letter so that the words made sense for him. Uh, can you imagine? But my dad loved him. He would talk about him all the time. It was his number one way of communicating to the church. And the people in the church loved them too. And I remember when I was a teenager and I was preaching for the first time. I was like 12 or 13, uh, which is what happens when your parents are pastors and you want to be a pastor too. But I remember getting up and I had written my first sermon. It was short. It was like 10 minutes, five to 10 minutes, but it was an acronym and it was long. It was like eight to 10 letters. And I'm sure it didn't make total sense. And there was a lot of repetition because I was 13. Uh, but I wanted to be just like my dad with it. And so I had an acronym to preach. But these sorts of linguistic tools, they can be really helpful, whether it's an acrostic or an acronym. And Psalm 112 has that sort of a thing so that the psalmist can help the people of Israel remember what it looks like to live a good life. He, he was sitting there thinking, like, how can I teach the Israelites this? How can I teach them what it looks like to live a life that reflects the character of God? How can I help them remember what it looks like to live a good life? Well, I could just say that it's as easy as A, B, C, and off he goes. So today, as a nod to the psalmist and to my dad, I created an acronym for you. Hopefully, it's helpful and it doesn't feel as forced as some of the ones that I just told you about. Uh, but as we learn to live a life that's centered on the character of God, uh, that, that helps us to live lives that make a mark on our world, that leave a legacy, I hope that we can remember it this way. Form me, Lord. Form me, Lord.
That's where we're going to go this morning in Psalm 112. Will you pray with me as we begin? Holy Spirit, we just invite you to come. God, I thank you that you are here with us wherever we're at right now. Whether we're on a jog, we're sitting in our living room, we're at work, we're driving to work, uh, we're, we're in uh, our bedroom, wherever it is that we're at right now, I pray that you will come and speak to our hearts. Reveal yourself to us, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We want more of you. and We ask you to come. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Psalm 12 uh, or look in the YouVersion uh, app on your phone, Google it, whatever, but follow along with me. We're going to be in Psalm 112 all morning. So this is the way that it begins. Praise the Lord. Maybe your version says hallelujah. That, ba- that word basically means, okay, everybody, come on. It's time to worship. Uh, gather around. Let me teach you about who God is and how he wants you to live your life. Praise the Lord. Come on, everybody. And then listen to verse two. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. So here's the F. Inform me, Lord. Fear leads to joy. Verse, one verse between, before this in Psalm 111, verse 10 says this. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. Wisdom is a life based on the commands of God, the law, the rule of life that God has given to us to teach us how to live well. If you've ever wondered where to begin when it comes to following Jesus, it's this. It's simple. It's right here. He's given it all to us. This is the beginning. The word of God is the place to plant yourself if you want to leave a legacy. And fear equals awe or honor. It's not an emotive word that that uh, speaks of of being afraid of something else or or having anxiety uh, or terror, but it's a word that means respect and honor of something or someone greater than you. So respect or honor God. Joy isn't found in just being in a happy emotional state. Joy is found in respecting, honoring God for who it is that he is, for knowing what it is that he says about himself in his word. And sometimes we treat the Bible like a reference book. You know what I mean? When you're in college, you're writing reference paper, you know, you're writing papers, you got a bunch of books laying around. And when you're finished with that paper, when you're finished with that class, what do you do with that? You either sell it back to somebody else or you put it, put it in a box and you put it in the garage, you put it in the attic where it never sees the light of day until you need it for that purpose again. Their usefulness has peaked and you've moved on to more practical guides. But friends, when we think about the Bible, that can't be how we look at the Bible. It's not just a reference book that's good for every once in a while, but isn't practical to our lives. Our joy is found in a foundation based on the word of God, on what it is that he teaches us. We open it to any page and we find God. We encounter his goodness. We see his character. We encounter his spirit. We see his love. Uh, We're smacked in the face by his generosity. On every single page, we see his love pouring out. Charles Spurgeon, a 19th century pastor, said that a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to someone whose life is not. And that preaches. 
If your life is based on this, it's going to show. Everything flows out of that relationship. Base your life in a fear of the commandments of God. Verse 2, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. F-O, here's the O, obedience equals legacy. Parents, if you're listening right now and you're hearing this, grandparents, aunt, uncles, you have people in your life who are a generation behind you, who you have good dreams for, who you who are you're hoping for, who you want to see live good lives. You're grabbing a hold of this one right here. Their children will be successful. An entire generation of godly people. We all want our legacies to be large. We want our children and our grandchildren, those around us, the generation behind us, to be blessed, to live their lives in a better way than maybe we've lived certainly with more of a with a deeper knowledge of who God is and what God is speaking to us we want them to live their lives knowing God is true and personal and, and working at all times if you're a follower of Jesus and you have kids and grandkids you're grabbing a hold of this uh, and I know that that's your heart But how do we leave this sort of a legacy? Well, the psalmist here is pointing back to Moses in Deuteronomy 28. And he says, if you fully obey the Lord your God, carefully keep his commands, the Lord your God will set you high above the nations of the world. You will experience all these blessings if you obey the Lord your God. Your towns and your fields will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. The offspring of your herds and flocks will be blessed. Your fruit baskets and breadboards would be blessed. Wherever you go, whatever you will do, you will be blessed. Obey the Lord and the legacy that you pass on will be one that is filled with blessing. Let's go to the R of form. Verse 3, they themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. Friends, here's the third one, the R. Only God's righteousness lasts. What lasts forever? Well, it says here in the New Living Translation, their good deeds will last forever. That's a little bit of a weak translation, if I'm being honest. Uh, What it would be better translated is their righteousness will last forever. And it's a righteousness that it is attributed to God, a righteousness that God gives to us, a salvation that God gives to us. This is pointing to the cross. It's pointing to that salvific act of God on our behalf that that broke down all the barriers once and for all. When Jesus came and lived and, and suffered and went to the cross for you and for I so that we can have a relationship with him at all times. Delight in obeying God's command and the salvation that he has given you will last for forever. This leads us to the cross to the place where we're all saved from the the sinners crucified next to him to you and to me. Isaac Watts said at the cross, at the cross where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight and now I am happy all the day. Our legacies are linked to the cross. Never forget that truth. M. Verse 4, light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous and compassionate and righteous. Generous, compassionate, and righteous. Friends, what are you marked by? The character of God. 
as followers of Jesus is what we are marked by. That's the M. Generous compassion and righteousness. These aren't just good characteristics. They're actually God characteristics. They're what God says to us. They're, they're his actions on our behalf that then we begin to show out to the world if we are living our lives deeply planted in relationship with his word, knowing who he is, set apart, following his salvation. Then this begins to show out of us. You know, growing up, WWJD bracelets were really popular when I was a youth group kid. And if you were a youth group kid like me who wore cheesy Jesus stuff, then you probably had one. Uh, And so uh, it's WWJD, what would Jesus do? was the phrase, and it did mark you. People knew something about you if you were wearing a WWJD bracelet in the 90s. It was a pretty obvious thing. Uh, But let's tease this out a little bit, shall we? What would Jesus do? Well, John 5, 19, Jesus says this. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son could do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. Friends, Jesus is the embodiment of the character of God, his father. If the fear of the Lord is your foundation, if your legacy is linked to the cross, then you will be marked by the character of the father. It will radiate out from you. His generosity, his compassion, his love will be evident to everybody. You will be righteous just as he is, but you don't need a bracelet for that. It shines through. Live a life that is marked by the character of God, not a cheap knockoff version, but the real genuine article. Verse five, the second M, we're getting to me. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. So how do you deal with money, the M? Be generous and fair. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, mostly because I just talked about it like a month ago. But I think it speaks for yourself. Are you generous with your money? Do you try and win every business deal versus finding something that actually works for both sides? You know, we live in a society, and this is no surprise to you, but it's based on winning versus losing. Everything is about who wins and who loses. And the winners are oftentimes the people with the money, with the good careers, with the big fancy cars, and the success. And the losers are oftentimes the people who don't have that much money and don't have good careers and are struggling and don't have that much to pass along to their kids. But that's not how God works. God's economy is one of sustainable generosity, not winning and losing business deals, living a life that is sustainably generous. Give generously to those who are in need. When you are in a position where you have a need, be vulnerable so that those in the church can come around you and can support you. That's what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of God. Sustainable generosity is the way to leave a lasting legacy. Verse 6, the E in me. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. Not moved by evil. Form me, Lord. The next three verses are all tied together, but let me start here with evil. 
When we talk about evil today, it feels like often that we're talking about something that belongs uh, in a movie, in a TV show, in some sort of fantasy novel that's hidden out in, in, in the backwoods, like in a cave deep into the ground on the edge of humanity where, where there's no people around. But when you walk into this forest, it feels creepy all around you. It feels like something that's out of Indiana Jones or Lord of the Rings. But what if I was to tell you that there is evil in our world and it's not in Mordor, but it's probably affected you within the last 24 hours. Derwin Gray is a pastor and author, and he wrote that everyone, even an atheist, worships something or someone. It might be education or fame or money or power or sex, but we were all created for worship. So the question is, what have you worshiped recently? Now, we're in church right now, so that may not be the most fair question for most of us. It's Jesus right now, at least. Uh, for, for this 24 hours, that's what we could say. Um, but honestly, if you were to take an inventory of your life and you were to look and you were to say, where did I look for love? Where did I look for value uh, and identity? And you start writing down things, you would probably come up with the list fast. And if you then looked at that list and you said, now, are those things good for me? Are they healthy for me to be looking for that in those things? We'd probably have all sorts of thoughts. C.S. Lewis is an author from the uh, about 70 years ago at this point, and he wrote the Screw Tape Letters, a, a series of letters back and forth between a junior and a senior demon. And he said this in that book. It's funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds. In reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. Evil's main job is to distract you from hearing the voice of God. The more distracted that you are, the harder it is for you to hear God speak, the more likely you are to start worshiping something else, and the more likely you are to start uh, worshiping something other than God and to stop worshiping God. But if the fear of the Lord is your foundation, if your legacy is linked to the cross, then you will not be overcome by the distractions of evil. That's what the psalmist tells us. Verse 7, they do not fear bad news. They confidently trust the Lord to care for them. Form me, Lord. Here's the L, established by trusting the Lord. Confidently trust is also translated as established. Uh, The date when it was created, firmly rooted, planted deep in the ground. What are you confident in? Well, let me give you a hint. If you're a parent, all you need to do is just ask your kids and they'll tell you. They'll tell you what stresses you out and what you go to when you're stressed out. They'll tell you what you're confident in and what you're not confident in very quickly. Are you firmly established? I love a song that we sing here called Goodness of God. And it says, your goodness is chasing, is running after. It's running after me. With my life laid down, I surrender now. I give you everything. Because your goodness is running. It's running after me. Friends, you are being chased by a very good God. Chased by the goodness of Jesus. You can trust him at all times. Don't fear what's to come, but be established in the goodness of God. Verse 8. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. We can only do this if we're seeing things clearly. 
because you see optics matter. Trust me, Lord. The O is optics. We know what the evil one's plans are. It's distraction. We know what needs to be established in us. A trust that is based on the goodness of Jesus continually coming after us. And now we can see clearly what is ahead. We can face whatever comes our way. We're not filled with misconceptions about who Jesus is. We're not worried if he's going to show up. We're not wondering if he cares. We know who he is. We know that he's on our side. He's fighting for us. So bring it, enemy. Bring your best at me because you you see, I serve a God who sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies, who cares for me, for my, my, my emotional and physical and, uh, and spiritual well-being in the middle of a fight. I serve a God who has the best plans for me and who is always in control. He feeds me when I'm surrounded. I see clearly what is around me and I know who wins because the fear of the Lord is my foundation. My legacy is linked to salvation and the optics are based in how you view what's happening around you when we're confident in jesus we see things more clearly as we begin to end look at verse 9 with me they share freely and give generously to those in need their good deeds will be remembered forever they will have influence and honor here's the r in lord it's influence worth remembering The psalmist is winding down here. He's recapping and he's reminding us of what, what it is that he's taught us. If you're rooted in the fear of the Lord, if you live a life of obedience, if you realize that your life is linked to uh, the cross of Jesus, if you are marked by the character of God, if you are generous and fair with money, if you're established in trust and not moved by the distraction of the evil one, if you see your life with clarity, if that is your reality, then you will leave a legacy that lasts. You'll have an influence that is worth remembering by those around you. It's filled with honor and good deeds, generosity and love. So the only question is, is that what you want? Is that how you want to live your life? Before you answer that though, let me tell you what the other side of the coin is. Verse 10, let me show you the other option. The wicked will see this and be infuriated. They will grind their teeth in anger. They will slink away their hopes thwarted. So here's the opposite side. The D in Lord. Disappearing acts. You have a choice. The psalmist is really clear about this. There's another option. This is what it looks like. It's a disappearing act. Slink away literally means to melt away. It makes me, in my mind at least, uh, think about the Wicked Witch of the West. When Dorothy has defeated her and as she's beaten, she starts to melt and she shrieks at Dorothy and she says, I'm melting, I'm melting. Uh, Who would have thought a little brat like you could destroy such beautiful wickedness? And then she disappears. It might look good for a while. You might have a little extra cash in your wallet. You might have what you want. You might get to worship what it is that you think that you want. But friends, believe me in this. It will melt away eventually. It's nothing more than a disappearing act. And so as we end this morning, the invitation to us from the psalmist is simple. Do you want to leave a legacy? Do you want to live a good life, a life that reflects the character of Jesus, a life that is worth remembering? 
If so, I want to invite you just right here and right now to pray with me. Just open up your hands. It's just a way of acknowledging Jesus' presence, of surrendering to his lordship, saying you are in charge and I want more of you. Uh, And pray this simple prayer with me. Let's start with the three words that I've been saying this whole time. Form me, Lord. Let's pray. Form me, Lord. Help me to do only what I see the Father doing. Let the reality of your presence be my foundation. Let my legacy be linked to the cross. Push away the distractions of the evil one and instead fill me with your character so that I can reflect it to the world around me. Let your kingdom come in my life, in my world, as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.